I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Thursday, January 4th, and I am Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley of Irish Illustrated. We are joined once again by Pete Sampson of The Athletic. And Pete, I wanted to start with you because you weren't with us for our Tuesday podcast, January 2nd. Just some uh, leftover thoughts from the Sun Sun Bowl, as as we talked about, O'Malley and I did on Tuesday. Um Great, uh, great weather in El Paso. It made a big difference compared to 13 years ago. And Nordane played I, again. All the credit in the world for Marcus Freeman. There's a lot of teams out there that weren't ready to play their bowl game. Nordane was definitely one that was ready. And uh, credit to Marcus Freeman and his coaching staff and the players, of course. Yeah, I agree, I agree with that. I agree with what you said on on Monday. Not to sound like uh, a bowl representative, but like I thought the Sun Bowl did a great job. I mean, that's, it was well-organized and, you know, they, they took care of the media down there. Um, I think they took care of the teams down there. So they, it's a, it's a nice bowl. Um, yeah, it was, everything about it was better than 13 years ago uh, for, <laughs> for Notre Dame and anyone who covered it. So full credit to the Sun Bowl there. I thought, you know, Marcus Freeman, it was um, an opportunity that he took advantage of to kind of put his fingerprints over the program a little bit more. Uh, they, the players that played took the message that he was putting down and, and ran with it and beat the crap out of Oregon state with it. And that, I don't think that sort of happens by accident. Um, I thought that the players that opted out, um, I don't know if they would have been all in if they had participated and I think that the players that were, did play were all in. I, I know you guys sort of referenced Bertrand a little bit on the the show earlier this week, but um, I'm not sure there was, was there anybody else that would come to mind that would would have been on the fence about playing or not. Um, you know, I think we we would have speculated about Javante Jean Baptiste about a month ago, but not only did he play, he impressed. Uh, and I'm not sure it makes a difference for him at the next level, but. I think that how he will be remembered by Notre Dame fans uh, over the course of the last month, I don't know, like, was he the most impactful grad transfer on the team this year? Oh, that's not close. Okay, all right, yeah. then we're we're in agreement on that. But I, uh, some of that has to do with the the last month and how he played in the Sun Bowl. So I think that he um, he definitely enhanced. He may not have enhanced his NFL reputation, but I think he enhanced his reputation among Notre Dame fans. Um, one other thing on the Sun Bowl, O'Malley and I have talked about this. One of my favorite things is the morning after at the airport because you run into the players like they're normal people. Um, I, I think there were probably 10 guys on my flight, um, all worse for wear after the bowl party, except for Charles Jagasa, who was already watching film of the game and talking about his missed assignment. So I just, I sort of like, like that as a, I like that as a, a check in the Charles Jagasaw character uh, category. The fact that he was already watching film of the game the morning after. 
now we're on three different tangents, but my favorite ride home from a bowl game was um, actually the Sun Bowl. There was one good thing about the 2010 Sun Bowl was I rode home with Chris Watts right next to Chris Watt. Yeah. <laughs> Had a long talk about the game, and he talked about all the trash talk with Miami, which was fun of that one, because if you guys recall, <laughs> we were on the sideline at the end, and Notre Dame was still blocking, and Miami was still hitting, and Mike, there was like a scuffle and Mike Ragone got right into Miami guy's face. I'm talking a foot away and stuck the double hand you right in his <laughs> face mask. And I just remember thinking to myself, wow, that could be a huge fright right now. But there, the guy didn't do anything. Um, yeah. the the And I also, um, Tommy Reese was on my flight back once in 2013 <laughs> from the pinstripe bowl, which is a strange one. When you think of all the things that have happened since. I mean, that was supposed to be his last game and his last <laughs> appearance with Notre Dame. And he's become a, uh, Famous human being, yeah, that, that, yeah. It's uh, there. You you can definitely tell the the morning after the slits. I was surprised how many guys were on a seven a.m. flight from El Paso to Dallas, considering they were up all night at the bowl party. But well, more power actually, to you guys. Pete and I had the most intriguing one of all time was after the Music City Bowl. We oh, didn't ride home. Uh, we didn't ride home with them, but Everett Golson was at our gate. He must have been at an adjacent gate. Yeah, I think I talked to him at like the Hudson newsstand at the airport or something, and I was like, <laughs> hey. Like, I, I was like, how's how's your rib doing okay? And because remember, he had the air quotes rib injury. And Everett Golson was like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, I the 7 a.m. I I'm I'm trying to weigh what was better or worse, the 7 a.m. flight or me getting back to South Bend at 2 30 a.m. Ooh. That's worse because it was a it was a noon <laughs> kickoff, Tim. <laughs> so that is yes. worse. No, you're exactly you're exactly right. Um yeah, you're exactly right. I, I will say that, uh, as an aside, do you guys remember the Austin airport? That, that uh, vaguely, because I think we were on the same flight after the game at like six in the morning. Uh, Which game are you talking about now? Uh, the 2016 Austin game? Okay. okay. Well, I don't know if they've renovated or not, but if you've been through the Austin airport, that place is really, really cool. I thought that was... Uh, I, for some reason, don't highlight. remember that. I yeah, maybe I didn't spend much time in there. My flights must have been in and out, but I went there. Actually, my wife went with me to that game, the Texas game. It was a long weekend. Remember, they, they extended the game by an extra day later after like everybody made their plans. They moved it to Monday. Yeah, we all just kept our plans. because Yeah, we all just kept our plans. <laughs> we are flying yeah. out Thursday anyway, so all of a sudden it was like a week off. Well, uh, as we closed our podcast on Tuesday, January 2nd, the transfer portal was still open. I don't know exactly sure when it closed, but no Notre Dame players put their names in. We had been talking about Steve Angeli and hoping that he would uh, he would not do that. And that's the proper course of action, I think, for him speaking uh, unofficially on his behalf. I think it's best that he stays stays at Notre Dame and competes through the spring and and weighs the situation. I'm sure that he has had some unsolicited uh, offers and uh, contact from schools across the country based upon his 15 of 19 for 232 yards and three touchdowns in the Sun Bowl. Or solicited offers. Those are allowed, too. It's what fun. did I say? Unsolic uh, unsolicited. He could be both. He could solicit offers and not like what he gets. That's oh, that's true. <laughs> that's completely up to him these days. I was saying that since his name wasn't in the portal. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's, I feel like the the my only big takeaway on Angeli is, like, that won't be his last career start. I just don't know where his next one's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, I don't think he'll stay, but... Riley Leonard runs hard. You, I think Notre Dame's backup quarterback will start a game next year or play high leverage competition next year. Um, 
that it's hard to uh, make. It's hard to tell a kid that that's the situation because he could start somewhere else. Yeah, but if you're not starting at power five, what would you do? If your what if your offer is bad power five or non power five? Would you rather stay at Notre Dame for a year? I'd stay through the spring at least. Like I I think the, the a Buckner career arc through the semester after the bowl makes the most sense to me. Uh, and then, and then come to a decision on it. But I, I just think that the, maybe you guys disagree with this. I feel like the gap between Buckner and Hartman was much larger than it will be between Leonard and Angeli. Well, Buckner couldn't throw passes forward that were complete. So I would say that's a bigger gap. Okay. Yeah. So it's just like, I, I wonder if you can come out of spring practice and Marcus is kind of, we get into the old Brian Kelly, like, well, this is an ongoing competition type of vibe to it. I don't know if and Shelly would buy that, but <laughs> it, um, cause it's just like the, the economics of this are totally different than they've ever been before. So it, uh, I, yeah. Hey, look, Notre Dame would be a lot better off if they had Angeli as their number two this fall than Carr or Minchie. Like that would be that, that, and that look, that could make the difference between making the playoff and not. It really could. And, you know, I, but there is also, if you wait until after the spring, you miss the benefit of going to your new place and having the spring. And if you're actually going to be in a competition with somebody, um, you know, you can start that competition in March or whenever spring practice starts at the respective schools. Um, so, I mean, from that standpoint, you, you put yourself in a position where you're a little bit behind, uh, but no, just, I'm, I look at it this way, though, Tim, like Tyler Buckner transferred to the number one program in the country and ended up starting a game after the spring. I think Steve Angeli can go somewhere yeah, if they hurt. really want it him. I, you can, It helps you to be there, obviously, but like Logan yeah, Diggs waited. that start at Alabama. That was by default. He didn't but, do But Steve Angeli won't go to Alabama either. Like, you know what I mean? I, there's just he's not going to go somewhere with a great quarterback. Right. Yeah. It's like if Steve Angeli ended up at, I don't know. UMass or something, whether he showed up in January or June, I'm not sure it makes much of a difference. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not specifically talking about jelly. I'm just talking about in general. I mean, yeah, it's better for sure. I think it's better, but I mean, Logan Diggs waited. He started Prince Collie waited. He couldn't have started no matter when he left. And Lorenzo styles waited and he couldn't start at Ohio state no matter what he did. I just think there's a quarterback differential here, right? Like if I was a quarterback, I would, I would get on the move with this. Um, and it, it's probably a little late to do that. Hartman, right, we have one question here that uh, right in by me. There's eight position groups. If you make defensive back one group, and I want to make it one group because they've already had plenty of attrition. So it's not really fair to the question. Eight position groups over under transfers from each group. I will set it at 6.5. Oh, I mean, I... There were at least five last year after the good spring. Line. I, just, I just named good... four last spring. So were there, there was probably yeah. more like lower level guys. I can't remember. Well, yeah. I, who do you have on your list? I mean, I can think of a quarterback, two offensive linemen. Are, gonna, are they going to have six running backs? Are they going to have 11 wide receivers? Are all these tight ends coming back? There's no chance all the defensive linemen are back. I don't think a linebacker will transfer now. And I think a defensive back will transfer. I, I, I don't disagree. I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's, it, you, My back is hard it, now, it right? comes in two, it comes in two waves. You had the first wave. Yeah. 
now uh, uh, post Stanford and then the second wave. I don't, I think more and more as we move forward, that first wave is going to be greater than the second wave. I agree. You know, because guys are, I mean, guys are making snap decisions. Yeah. I think the, the, some guys want the degree and that gets them through the spring. Yeah. yeah. No, it's true. That's true. And in the case of some of the people that I think you have in mind on that list, and it's a little, uh, it's a little crude to just be throwing out names. All no, the time. but I mean, this is big position groups. There's yeah, no, no doubt. No doubt. And, and frankly, again, you know, like the first reaction right after Stanford, some of the names that popped in there, there was like panic. Well, those are good. Some of those guys are guys that you want to leave. That's the, that's the landscape of the game. Now you want them to you want those guys to go. You wanted, you know, I mean, to, to be crass about it, you wanted Riley Barnes to move on. He wasn't going to play. And, and so the sooner you can, they can do that, the better for roster management. Of course, roster management these days is impossible. No wonder they need a general manager for crying yeah. out It's something yeah. that you, you have to follow it 350 out of 365 days a year. It's, it's, it's ever present. There's, there's the ever present possibility of a departure. So um, yeah, there'll be more uh, T.O. You're the king of setting lines for that. If you say six and a half, I'm with I think you. that's a good over under. I think if you go higher, that's too high. And if you go lower, it'd be the easiest slam dunk of all time. I can see the Tim O'Malley uh, uh, circuits in in your head going over and over. Tim O'Malley trying to fall asleep that night, and he's thinking, <laughs> five would it be five and a half? Well, I tell you what, it's, if you always just choose the over, it's easy to fall asleep. <laughs> there yeah. <you> know. <laughs> uh, before we finish segment one, the four. Uh, Notre Dame players at the All-American Bowl in San Antonio. Notre Dame well represented by some really talented players led by uh, Kingston Villamuasa And Bryce Young, Bryce Young, uh, Bryant Young's son is growing in stature and growing in notoriety as far as, uh, you know, there's talk. I, I think Tom Loy has thrown it out, but I know that there are others in San Antonio that are talking about Bryce Young looks like a five-star prospect out there in San Antonio. He's got the build for it. Um, yeah, that's what well, it's. You always want to take a chance on length and reach, and he's got both of those along with really good DNA. So that um, that seems like that's all happening. Uh, I I've never really read a ton into these all-star games or practices. I mean, I. When I used to go to these, I would, I'd be curious to see who wants to compete and who doesn't. Um, and I'm not at the practices, so I can't tell you who's like trying to get all the reps they possibly can. But um, Kingston Villamasa seems like a guy who would probably try to get all the reps he possibly could. And that's that. That's a that was always like the biggest takeaway for me is like compete level at these things. Yeah, and he doesn't have a wide open depth chart at Notre Dame, but he certainly has a competitive one that he could compete in and play as the season progresses it's you'd be doing disservice to guys like drake bowen who looked very good this past year just to say he's kva is going to walk in and start over sneed bowen osbury but i just named three of the five <laughs> that, that exists and kaiser obviously has one of the spots so kva is in a good spot coming in it's not like it, it's not a de- it's not a dead linebacker room but it's it's a really good linebacker room if you're not good enough to start at linebacker. Like, you know, in other words, you can't break through if you're if you need a couple of years to develop. But I think KVA could find his way on the field. How much longer <clears throat> these all-star games? I mean, how, 
how much longer until they go the way of the Pro Bowl where they're not having would opt out content. of the game for sure. I I think that we're going to see that with yeah. the All American Bowl and and others. I mean, that's just like I can totally see that. I I, I it's an exhibition. It is. Well, I mean, like being an old timer, I still take offense to the opt outs in, in the bowl games, but I certainly understand them. And I certainly would understand them in a, I mean, you want to talk about nothing at stake. It's a, it's a, that's truly a practice game. There's no, that doesn't go on, you know, there's no 10th win for Notre Dame at stake. Plus plenty of them start practice within a month at their new school. Like any little injury is annoying for you. Yeah. Anyway, Norton, while we're represented, I also mentioned, uh, I didn't mention, uh, Cam Williams and, and Kedron Young. Uh, Cam Williams, I think, got a little banged up the other day in practice, and I don't think that he'll be participating in the game, but uh, I don't know if I'm uh, sharing news I shouldn't. But anyway, I don't think he'll be in the game on Saturday. Real quick, wrap up hoops. Notre Dame men's basketball, they led from the 1901 mark to the 0.6 mark of the end of the game. A, a, a tragic loss for Notre Dame basketball. I still find them to be a fat. I don't, I, I don't want to miss any game. If I'm not there, I'm watching it because I think it's fascinating to see the development of Micah Shrewsbury's team in terms of team defense rebounding, which wasn't there for them last night. Cause NC state had 17 offensive rebounds, uh, f- field goal, uh, defensive field goal percentage is among the top 175 in the country, which is, <laughs> that doesn't sound great, but that is a huge breakthrough in the program. And, you know, guys like there are foundational pieces there in, in, uh, in Marcus Burton and Tay Davis and uh, J.R. Konesny and Kerry Booth as well. But man, they blew that damn game last night. <laughs> I mean, I covered the game last night, which makes me Pete. You don't know this, but I'm 0 and 5. Notre Dame is 0 and 5 when I cover the games this year. So. <laughs> JB and T, TJP are a, a oh, collective six and three. So Saturday. Tim's I going to Duke. And uh, I think you guys have the next few and I'm out of town. So there you go. But uh, Owen five. And I believe I'm on tap for Miami. So I could start off Owen six here as mid January <laughs> comes along. But um, yeah, they didn't trail Notre Dame. You could feel them losing the entire second half, just sitting next up at, pre- as you know, up there, the dank, dark row of press row where there's seven of us. It's depressing up there. As far away as you could be from the action in a basketball arena, which Sad has souls. no bad seats. Sad souls. For the record, for the record, we used to sit behind the the uh, the baskets on the end of the Notre Dame team, and we're now up in the heavens where it's it. Like some writers have actually brought little desk lamp lights. Yeah, it is dark as it gets. There. That's how dark it is up there. It's as dark as the clutch free throw shooting was last night. But you could feel the loss coming as this game progressed, and when. So the pass went to Roper in the corner, and Notre Dame was uh, still up two. I looked and I thought, don't shoot that three, because there's eight seconds left, so you obviously don't want to shoot a three up two. He was wide open. But the fact that he never once considered hanging onto the ball for more than a half a second until he got fouled let me know he did not want that free throw. And he did not want that free throw that barely grazed the front of the rim. Grazed the front of the rim. And it came off a miss. Tay Davis, they went. they had to go to Tay Davis because Marcus Burton was so tired from being guarded 94 feet for the entire contest that he was in his final turnover or not, not that he had a million turnovers, but Burton on one crucial possession, just fell down trying to drive out of bounds and lost the ball to bounds. They went to Tay Davis. He is their backup ball handler right now. They need another ball handler, obviously Um, Davis beat his man to the hole, but he got fouled. He missed a free throw. You can understand why he would miss. That's a, that's a tough situation for him, but 
They got to hit those. Um, it felt like a win they absolutely had to have for season health. You know, one of those, can they win six ACC games? Can you start two and one? Then you could absorb a Duke loss. It is just a rough loss. And credit to, uh, it was a beautiful pump fake, I got to say. Oh, God. 275-pound man. Good, that, but, uh, yeah, it just feels I, like they're, I mean, they're, they're pieces that don't quite fit together, right? Like you watch, yeah, you watch Notre Dame basketball and it's like, fit. They're players, but not really much of a team yet. All enough of a team yet, and I don't know if that's gonna happen this year because it's like Micah is unfortunately has to sort of fat microwave team chemistry in a year, and that's just like that doesn't really work that well. But that's that's the position Notre Dame's in. I just wrote about it in Thursday Thoughts. I, you know, like to expect like Notre Dame fans like getting angry because they're not coming together you, you got to have some perspective like the Virginia game was huge that's tremendous there will be other games like that but you're they're also going to have other games like you know Miami where they get hammered or they do blow a lead they just they're not talented enough and consistent enough on the offensive end on the defensive end they continue to to battle I didn't Tim I didn't understand Kerry Booth only played like 15 minutes last night so I asked Shrewsbury I asked Shrewsbury about the balancing act of three bigs versus not three bigs. Cause it's hard to score. If you have Jai Davis booth yeah, and no, then, and he said, well, they're not big. He got a little semantics on me. He said, they're not bigs. Like, well, they're your tallest guys that get in the way of people when they're playing defense. That's I meant, I meant Kerry booth versus Logan Imes and Braden Shrewsbury and other guys. There's a, there's a length difference that Notre Dame has. Their starting lineup is long. Like when yes. Jared Kinesny's in the lineup, that is a long group, but it's not a great scoring group. So is the defense good enough to make up for the fact that you're going to go through several droughts without being able to score? I don't, but is the offense you bring in for bringing in Shrewsbury, Imes, and anybody else better than the defense? I don't think so. I feel like you got to grind it out. When you're grinding it out and you can't score at the end at home, it, I don't know what Shrewsbury could go to. I mean, I don't know what he could call at the end other than, he tried. He gave it to Davis instead of Burton because Burton couldn't get by his guy I anymore. Mean, I but, mean, I mean, just... but, but Booth has length and is a shooter. So why? why I don't understand yeah. why he wouldn't have gotten. I, I think it was 15 minutes last night. I didn't, I'd have played I didn't him more last night. Really understand that. But uh, anyway, that's enough hoops for now. Coming up, segment two: burning up the boards. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back to segment two, Burning Up the Boards. Our first question is from CMU Pens fan. Now that your travel to El Paso is complete, could you rank your bowl destinations you have covered if we spot you the Camelback in Phoenix as number one? Okay, last is, you know what? Had we not? How many have you done, Priester? How many? I I told a lot of how many bowls I'd covered. You probably have done more than double than I have. Thirty-two straight. Okay, I had seventeen bowls at nine different destinations. I didn't count the destinations, and I would have included the Sun Bowl with the Independence Bowl based upon 13 years ago, just because the weather was, although mm. the independence bowl was awful. Uh, anyway, so I'm starting on the other end of the spectrum, but 
I've been to the Hawaii Bowl. Obviously, that's a good one to go to. Um, I I think this is a, a sleeper, but you guys, I don't think you're going to think it's a sleeper when you hear it. It's not a good bowl game to go to because it, it means Notre Dame seven and five. But I would love to go back to the Music City Bowl. Yeah, uh, I like this. Seasons. Nashville's awesome. Um, I would love to go back to that bowl, but I I don't know how we work it out where they're not where they're, they're not seven and five or yeah. Six, do you do you also want to cover a coaching change? <laughs> <laughs> nope. Nope. Yeah, maybe just go to Nashville and. August yeah. or something. Yeah, hey, out to Nashville. Go to Nashville during the spring. It's a beautiful town. We um, covered a Rose Bowl. Uh yeah, that one didn't really count. Um, uh, it didn't count. I was gonna yeah. say I didn't quote unquote get to go to that game during COVID, but I think I uh, might have benefited from not being at that game during COVID. As yeah, well. best destinations. I had I had nine total. One Scottsdale, uh, two Miami, three New Orleans, four Orlando. Five Dallas, six El Paso after a very strong performance uh, last yeah. week. Seven Jacksonville because it's Florida technically. Um, I had Nashville eight because it was freezing. I really like Nashville a lot, but not at the end of December. And I actually had New York City as ninth for the Pinstripe Bowl. Um, I didn't get to cover the Hawaii Bowl because we didn't staff that with two reporters back in the day. Sorry yeah. about that. Yeah, no, you're not. Um, and then yeah, like I like New York City a ton, but that was a, a, based on the media shuttle alone. I had to finish nights. Yeah. Um. Actually, my number one bowl experience was the BCS championship game. That was awesome. hotel for my... Fort Lauderdale. That was one. Camelback in uh 2021 was two. Camelback in 2015 was three. <laughs> um. I don't think I would put any of the three Orlandos I've been to ahead of the uh, this most recent El Paso. I, I would put El Paso above those. I agree. Other than Orlando, I, there's there's more to do in Orlando. Downtown, we were together. The three of us were together with others um, the night before the game in downtown El Paso, and that was abs- that was just sensational. Yeah. And then obviously the Music City Bowl in Nashville is great, but as Pete said, just like New York City. Just just go visit that city and don't base it around a uh, seven and four football team or seven and five football team and you're all set. And then yet I actually enjoyed Jacksonville last year. I thought that was a nice walking little area. Um, So really, the only one was getting hit our bus getting hit in the Bronx in 2013 in snowy, cold pinstripe bowl land when priesters press box with an open air press box when pre and we'd already been to a Yankee Stadium game three years prior. And Priester sent me a picture of the Sunball Trophy when he showed up on the twenty fifth. Well, the twenty. Did you have to go the twenty fifth that day? And he sent me a picture of the. So. Yeah. He sent me a picture of the Sunball. We were not working together, by the way. When he sent me a picture of the Sunball yeah. Trophy that said, "This is what it's all about." <laughs> I'm not not the Sunball. I'm sorry. The Pinstripe Bowl Trophy. This is what it's all about. I think Tim held on to his uh, Pinstripe Bowl beanie for like a long time. Uh, <laughs> That's a, a bull gift, a bull gift that got a lot of use. I know. I lo- I can't find it. I think I lost it. I love that stocking hat. And just a reminder, I mentioned Rose Bowl. Their name did play in the Rose Bowl. It just happened to be in Arlington, Arlington, yeah. Texas, because of the the, the, the- uh, Clarence Lewis actually talked about that. It was one of the few jokes Clarence Lewis talked about when he was doing media because he's a very straightforward person. He's like, well, you played in Rose Bowl last year. And he's like, no, we didn't. No, we didn't. <laughs> just... I you guys would not like the Independence Bowl. Again, that that press box, 
was uh, reminded me of the old press box at the Sun Bowl. God bless the Sun Bowl for upgrading the press box. It's not very big, but it's very nice. But the Independence Bowl that does have a uh, that does have a casino in the adjoining town, ah, there you which, go. which which raises it up. But the Independence Bowl itself is uh, is not not something we. I would love to go to the Holiday Bowl in in San Diego. The timing is never good, right, Tim? Uh, yeah, and that's another that's another seven eight win team if you're out at the December twenty seventh Holiday Bowl these days. But that would be high on the list if they moved it to December thirty. Yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt. Question from Pink Robots. Best Notre Dame nicknames of all time. Where does peanut butter and jelly rank? Samson, you want to weigh in on that peanut butter and jelly nickname? Yeah, well, it's not a nickname uh, because his name is in it. So it cannot be a nickname. Uh, obviously, Boston Rocket in our category off by their own. Um, however, I think a couple underrated nicknames uh, from the Kelly area were was Hayseed. Oh, for yeah. Harrison Smith. Oh, and if you remember, uh, this lasted briefly, and I think maybe Notre Dame told NBC to stop saying it. Meatball for Carlo Calabrese uh, <laughs> was a short-lived nickname, but a Did great they really? one. really? I don't remember yes. that. <laughs> it was like Mayak was referring to him as Meatball, and then suddenly it stopped, and it was too good for that just to have naturally occurred. So actually, Car- Meatball are good ones. Follow up, just to follow up on Carlo, I did a story on him back in 2011, whatever. And uh, his uh, relatives called him as a little kid, like a five-year-old hit and run, because he would run in and just drill people and run away. <laughs> a tremendous nickname for a five-year-old, hit and run. That's excellent. <laughs> I don't, I like a lot, Notre Dame nicknames don't come to mind. I mean, Rocket's an easy one. The bus is an easy one. That Although that came professionally, you know, Zorro, Zorch was Zorro. I, I don't remember a whole lot. So we're kind of asking, our readers well, go ahead and submit them to the. I mean, the- Thunder and Lightning for Bettis and Brooks was fun, right? That's a good nickname for the for the backfield. Well, like if you're going to say the Four Horsemen, you can say Thunder and Lightning for Brooks and Bettis. Yeah, but that's kind of overused, isn't it? I I can remember uh, Sports Illustrated way way back, way before you guys, hand ready to see more. And they had a, they had a headline, and I don't even remember when I was a kid. I don't remember what it meant exactly, but it was it was. My brother still says it to this day: "Fling and cling in a decimated cult." I don't remember what the decimated cult reference was, but mm. "fling and cling" I thought was kind of neat. I don't know that that was ever actually their nicknames. Who uh, who gave Harrison Smith hayseed? Was that that was, ten, was it was Tanuda? It was Tanuda. Right? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jim Nance gave it didn't stick, but Jim Nance gave Rick Meyer the Goshen motion during his first start against Michigan. I heard that. That's good. I know our mm-hmm. readers have some in mind, and I know Pink Robots does as well. So I have a I have a mean one. Them on the the Four Horsemen Lounge. I have a favorite mean one. Okay, Highway Fifteen. Yes. Highway Fifteen oh. corner. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, I I believe that's associated with a defensive back. Yes. Yep. Fantastic nickname. That's unreal. <laughs> I don't remember who it was. Are you going? Nah, to- we'll leave him. We'll leave him off the podcast. There was actually yeah. a string of guys wearing fifteen, and it ended in two thousand one, two thousand two. I remember. Yeah. Uh, but the best nickname ever that's mean is Elvis Patterson from the Giants. Do you guys remember his nickname? Toast. Well. That's- oh yeah, it's not a good one. <laughs> that's not a good one to have. 
Question from Suds11. I think this is the first ever from Suds11. If Notre Dame finishes the year ranked high enough to get a home playoff game, what are the chances they opt to play at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis instead of Notre Dame Stadium? Is there a number less than zero? I mean, yeah. those are, those are, that's the percentage of Notre Dame moving a home playoff game to Indianapolis. They'd probably like to move a road playoff game to Indianapolis, though. Pete, if you want to look yes. at that one, there's yeah. I, yeah they, speaking, but, speaking of bowls, if they win their first round game next year, they would end up at the Fiesta, Peach, Rose, or Sugar. All would be good. All good. What do you uh, off topic here? But what what is your perspective as somebody that loves picking bowl games? And oh, by the way, how many times have I said this? I was five and zero on my top picks. <laughs> But what is your perspective on the future of the Bulls past the 12-team uh, playoff? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Are they going to look a whole lot different than they do right now? Well, are, are, I think that there's a sense that they're going to be cut down significantly. Are they still, I mean, if you look at the television ratings for these things, everyone's looking for a television show that one to four million people will watch. And these Bulls still deliver that i mean you look at notre dame oregon state i think it was in the three million range and it was i want to say the third highest rated game of its own day like the kansas state nc state game got more than four million people watching it um so I, I just <laughs> i know that there's the you've we've got opt-outs and i i think it's a very sort of insular view of the bowl games from the people who are really in with college football but they're really just TV shows like they're exhibition TV shows. And as long as 3 million people are watching them, they will continue. Oh, and to that point, uh, 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 3 million people watch a game at two o'clock in the afternoon on December 29th. Uh, uh, yeah. Right. Friday or Tuesday or whatever. That's an excellent point. I never really looked at from that. Well, it's like the, um, if you think about the Georgia Florida state game, I had no interest in watching that because it was 99 to two. However, 10.4 million people did watch it. So when there's all these think pieces and there've been some on the athletic that I just don't agree with, like about fixing the bowl system. Like if you have a television show and 10 million people watch it, that's like a smash hit. So I, I feel like these games are probably a lot healthier than people make them out to be. I mean, Missouri, Ohio State, 9.7 million. Ole Miss, Penn State, 7.8 million. Kansas State, NC State, 4.3 million. Arizona, Oklahoma, 3.9 million. Like a lot, like Notre Dame's bowl game was well watched at 3.26 million. And I think it was 10th in terms of the bowls pre-college football playoffs. So I, in terms of television audiences, the Bulls are quite healthy. I, but I Absolutely. guess the opt-outs are, are like weird optics. Heck, yeah, 3 million yeah. people watch Rutgers Miami. Oh, God. And I picked Miami. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Tim, go ahead. I, I... <laughs> you looked like you are about to speak, Tim. But I was, uh, actually, Priester, yeah, on your bowl picks, I did, get a, uh, I did get a text from a friend of mine that you've met a couple times on your bowl picks. And he said, Please tell Priester to let me know next time Ohio has enough opt outs so I can bet against him on something along those lines. <laughs> well, that was that was yeah, that was the, it was it was with the excuse me the first game where I realized hey don't just pick teams that against teams that have a lot of opt outs because 
Ohio had a ton of them. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just have so much damn fun with it. And it's like, <laughs> well, you Pete know, just gave but, you good news. Then Pete gave you well, good news for people. If three million people I, watch Rutgers, Miami. Re- yeah. Really, re- really, really encouraging that Rutgers, Miami pick. Well, the one that I, the one that I hated the most was I took Auburn over Maryland and I knew, I knew Auburn wasn't going to play. I knew they weren't going to play and Maryland for Maryland, a bowl game. They don't care where it is. They usually play well. And yeah, I blew that one, but um, <laughs> they're a lot of fun. It may, you know, it's all part of the the bowl trip fun because you go out, we go out at night, and there are games to continue to to check on. I just, I still love it. But I got uh, off the plane. Oh, I know what I was going to say. It's the gambling component. That's why everybody's watching. That's true. Yeah, I just, I, I, as long as you you're fine with like the the sanctity of bowls no longer being preserved by opt outs and edible pop tart mascots i mean you can still people handic- still really like them you can still yeah. handicap games with yeah. opt out it's just another factor to consider i got off the plane and uh, looked at the score walking through midway's airport and saw 63 to 3 and wondered if anybody had been arrested in the charge game yeah, that is that's a fun thing too all right we got a long question from and i don't know that anybody was tim we got a long question from uh a gonzalez one is there more looming underneath the surface regarding Sam Hartman's commitment to the team and or taking the necessary steps to playing winning football day in and day out? I asked because Priester and for a few more weeks, Samson have been commenting on how Notre Dame did not end up getting what they paid for. Was he slacking in preparation? Was his connection with the team overblown? Why the sudden shade when the optimism was so high throughout most of the season sands the inexplicable losses? was focus lost. I think the last comment is the most pertinent. Yeah, I think that would be fine. Um, I don't think there were like locker room issues or anything like that. I just, but I like Sam Hartman is a curious guy and I think we knew that going into it. Um, but when you're four and O and on pace to set the all time pass efficiency record, that curiosity is like, wow, I'm fascinated by him. And then when you lose at Louisville and Clemson, that curiosity is like, oh, this isn't fun anymore. Um, so I, he had a very roller coaster season. Um, but I, I think one of the things that probably all three of us were really wrong on was, well, when he's at Notre Dame, those kind of like flat tire games will go away because Notre Dame isn't going to ask him to play that way. And well, I think Notre Dame asked him to play that way sometimes. And, there were a couple flat tire games along the way. I like to clarify because I was trying to do it on our last podcast. I think the general fan base for Notre Dame, not the ardent message board fan that we necessarily talk to all the time. And that would include listeners for this. We're all in forever on the Sam Hartman experience. I think it's the people that live and die daily with Notre Dame news, where when Pete says JJB is the beloved transfer now, that is totally true. For, for people that really follow Notre Dame closely, I think Sam Hartman's star just took a massive hit after Clemson or at during Clemson because um, he rebounded. I think if you're looking at like Q rating, he rebounded after Louisville because of the beat. They beat USC in like the most back then. Remember how big of a big of a win that was? It was huge for Notre Dame. Um, yeah. And they were they were supposed to beat Clemson, according to everybody, including us who missed the boat on that one. I think that's when it died. Um, and that's when I think, Tim, if you start looking at lack of focus, like. His Notre Dame career was kind of over when he lost to Clemson. 
he had to beat Wake because he couldn't lose the weight. He couldn't uh, he couldn't lose the weight game <laughs> for obvious reasons. But his Notre Dame career in terms of the accomplishments he planned on was over after Clemson. Yeah, I would agree with that. And we just I think all three of us and 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 JB as well, like we, you know, it's like what focus during the week. Uh I I I I don't understand how you can turn the wrong way on a handoff in the most crucial drive of the Ohio State game. He certainly lost focus against Clemson. And I think it was the Wake Forest week where we had gotten some intel that he just really had a very unfocused week of of practice. And so it was it was things like that. I don't think that I do think that his teammates loved him. I do think that the exchange between him and Angeli that you see on the sideline at the end of the Sun Bowl is legitimate. Uh, you know, but like we look back and when we look back at his career to Wake Forest, man, the interceptions are a little bit high. Well, we we could we have a better understanding of that having gone through this season with him at Notre Dame because sometimes he just forced something that you thought, why is he thinking that? Yeah, it was weird though, because it was basically in two games for his interceptions. I mean, his turnovers came in two games. It was the Louis and Al, they were absolutely crushing games for Notre Dame football this year, Louisville and Clemson. It's as I said, we will remember Hartman differently than the casual fan. If you went out and asked your neighbors about Sam Hartman, they're like, oh, yeah, he was a really cool guy. He was such a took up for the team. Like, I mean, he's going to be liked. He's going to be forever liked by Notre Dame fans. I think that, yeah, it's if you asked who was the most impactful grad transfer on the team and you went to the Four Horsemen Lounge, they would probably say JJB. If you walked into Martin's and asked, they would say Sam Hartman. For sure. I, I don't, yeah, I completely agree. Well, to follow that up, uh, speaking of uh, other grad transfers, transfers from Irish from A2, and Tim, you touched upon this in Monday Musings, rank the six incoming. Well, you you touched upon the outgoing. <laughs> yeah, the outgoing uh, ones. Why, first of all, why don't you uh, tell us how you had them ranked? Yeah, the outgoing ones, um, and I considered all 13 games, of course, because that's how many they play. Uh, JJB was one. Thomas Harper was two and he would have been a higher two if he didn't ghost Notre Dame opting out in the whole game out of nowhere. Uh, Hartman was three and you could argue for him too, because he was the MVP of September for Notre Dame. Right. And the, the Duke game will live forever for him. You could easily argue Sam Hartman too. I don't think you could argue Sam Hartman one. I think JJB was the best grad transfer. Uh, Spencer Schrader four. I, I wrote Devin Ford in as my special teams player of the year. Um, so he was five. Uh, Schrader just impacted the game more than Devin yeah. Ford. Yeah. Um, yes. And then you're at Antonio Carter who barely played and, uh, and shockingly, Caleb Smith was a guy we all forgot about. So Caleb Smith probably would have helped. Um, but I don't know if all things considered, is he getting any higher than Spencer Schrader? You think as a rotating member of the receiving? Uh, I, well, I mean, you think about if, if you had a fully healthy Caleb Smith, who was all of his Virginia tech stuff came with you to Notre Dame, which it, it didn't for some reason at Duke that would have made a huge difference. Yeah, that's true. That's true. With all the with so, Jake Thomas banged up, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. I would I would go Hartman to Harper three. That yeah. but that would be my only disagreement with O'Malley there. And that's A B for me. I just yeah, you know. It, but that's not even the question that was asked. That's from Irish. No. <laughs> it is ranked the six incoming transfers in order of greatest to least impact in 2024. You can start us off, Tim. 
Riley, <clears throat> excuse me, Riley Leonard. I'm going to, I'm going to make Chris Mitchell and RJ Oban two and two a. So then four is um, Bo Collins and then Mitch Jeter, the kicker. And I've expressed that. I don't think that Jordan Clark is going to win the, the, the nickel job in Notre Dame. So he would be, he'd be number six for me. That was exactly the list uh, that I put down in that exact order, including Mitchell and Oban being two and two a. Oh my goodness. Usually that only happens with O'Malley. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I I would agree. I might do open just ahead of Mitchell because he doesn't have to share as much time. I think Mitchell has some good players around him this year. I really like Great House and Faison and Jaden Thomas and Mitchell and Bo Collins. So there's five guys I really like at wide receiver. And then you got the guys coming in. It's gonna be a it's it should be a better group. I rarely do this, but I thought that uh, this was appropriate to ask. It's also from Irish for May too. And that is with Brian Kelly firing his entire defensive staff at LSU. Do you anticipate him trying to poach anyone from Notre Dame staff? So he trying to poach O'Leary and Mickens in terms of leftovers. He's you not getting know, Al Golden. He's not getting Al Golden. Now you do know who's going to be the defensive coordinator. Oh yeah. After a nationwide search. <laughs> After a nationwide search, Bob Diaco will emerge as the defensive coordinator at LSU. Uh, I mean, Mick, if he wanted to roll the dice on Mickens, which I don't think he would do, Mickens would have to take that job as the DC. That's that. Oh, that, as the defensive coordinator. Yes. Yeah, that would yes. Be... Yeah. He's not poaching him in a lateral move, though. No, 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 no. Um, I'm just saying if, if Brian oh. Kelly reaches out to Mike Mickens, is like, we'd like you to be our defensive coordinator. Uh, you would have to do that. Right. Yes. Yeah, as, a career, as a career point, move. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I don't think Brian Kelly would do that, nor do I think that would be in his best interest or LSU's interest. But um, uh, I would rather have Mike Mickens as my defensive coordinator at LSU than Bob Diaco. It's been a long time since Bob Diaco coordinated a good. I realize that, but it, but Mike Mickens has never done that. So uh, that just the game is different than when Bob Diaco did it. No, but it's not like he's been out of the game. I, I, you think he's adjusted to it, or is he still playing? And it, look, energy vampires are energy vampires, O'Malley. Like, they don't go away. Werewolves, Freddy Kruegers, I mean, that's, that's still applicable today as it was 10 years ago. I'm sure it'll fly really well with the talent he has down at LSU. He talks yeah. about that. What are you talking about? <laughs> Next from David Lopez 5. Priester spoke pretty highly of Ashton Craig in the last podcast and on a recent board post. He indicated he believed Craig may have NFL potential. I have seen other sites indicate they thought he was just okay in the bowl game. What have you seen in his few starts that help you believe he will outplay his composite three-star ranking and have a solid college center? So he's taken away the NFL part of it, which is good because this is first year starting coming up for Ashton Craig. Pete, go ahead. I I think he's a five-year player. Um, I think he's got to get a lot bigger and a lot stronger, but he has like the natural reach and length that, Zeke Carell or even like Braxton Cave really didn't have. Um, but I I think Ashton, like I, I think Ashton Craig has a chance to be a good college center. Um, but he's got a pretty big off season in front of him with Lauren Landau to to take a he's got to take a big step in the weight room, yeah. I think, to to be the guy Notre Dame needs him to be. I, I like his length. I like his knee bend. I like the push that he's gotten in the few games that he's played. I'm not saying that he doesn't have a lot of progress to be made. And and Lauren Landau will be 
you know, we'll be on top of that. I do want to say that I don't know what other sites indicate they thought he was just okay in the bowl, but I know that there are other sites that generally stick with their evaluations based upon where he had them coming out of high school. So, Ashton, I don't know, you know, I, I, I don't know, but I like what I see of Ashton Craig. I, I, I think there's a lot of potential there. I think he will be a better center than Zeke Carell largely because of the frame and the things that he can do physically that Carell just couldn't because of his size. Uh, I I'm, I'm probably as I'm want to do at times, stepping out a little bit about NFL potential, but I, I thought, I just think there are a lot of fundamental things that I saw in watching him for three games. It's like when this guy gets a little bit more playing experience and is bigger and stronger, he's going to be really good. I mean, I think the staff agrees with you and certainly that they let Zeke Carell go and Zeke Carell would have liked to have come back. So they like Ashton, what they have in Ashton that's Craig. part of it too, certainly. Yeah. I mean, that that certainly influences my opinion as well. Yeah, and also I would just make sure we don't put a whole lot of stock necessarily all in one bowl game played against uh, oh, and that's why a bunch of opt-outs against a bunch of opt-outs. Yeah, like, I, I, like I've said some things about Charles Jagasa. I don't think that he's a – I don't think left tackle is his best position. I'm going to stick with that. I totally realize that he's – coming off an injury and not in the best shape, but I also watched his high school film. I also watched him in the preseason. I also watched him at guard. So it's not, my opinion is not based upon just the, the bowl game. Um, you know, I mean, here's a freshman playing his first game and he's a little, you know, he was kind of catching guys as a, in pass protection. And, but that's understandable. I get all that, but I, I'm talking about the skill set. I think the skill set points to right tackle or guard can he play left tackle at Notre Dame? Sure, he's going to be in better shape. But I don't think. I tell you what, when I see when I see Will Black and and Jack Lang has not verbally committed to Notre Dame, and I'm not I'm not positive that he will. Those two guys in the 2025 class, I think, are absolutely sensational. Jack Lang is has the skill set of a left tackle. I think he's a five star prospect, and I hope Notre Dame gets him. But that's down the road, of course. Next question is Cody Snyder nine and Pete. This is part of my uh, angst over Jeremiah love changing his number. What are the best available Jersey number fits for some of the top incoming freshmen? He says CJ Carr for 10, Adrian young, 34, Cam Williams, seven, KVA five and Bryce young one (laughs) (laughs) would be fun, but I'm not Uh, sure. You got a, you got a strong side defensive end walking out the door that wore number one, Tim, you got to answer that first You're the You're the king of the opinions with regard to that. I think these are, I think Cody Snyder nine's onto something here. I KVA, I think obviously is a salute to Manti Teo. Manti That's a nice Teo helped, yeah. helped uh, make KVA feel comfortable about uh, coming to Notre Dame. But your your thoughts on these numbers? Well, if Jeremiah Love trains to number four, I got a text saying that he would be might be moving to number four after our podcast. <laughs> Jeremiah Love makes that tragic mistake. I'm just kidding. Uh, Kedron Young could take number 12. 34 is also good, though. Cam Williams seven. Is that just because, uh, is that a nice ode to how many points you score every time you catch the pass too? Is that fun for Cam Williams? I don't know. know. But uh, CJ Carr, 13, does he wear 13? That would be nice. Dan Reno. I like 10 too. And Bryce Young, 94. Get as close as you can to your dad's number. And then if, when Gabriel Rubio graduates, you take 97. Uh, these are all fine. And the most important number change is Christian Gray, though. I oh, just, I, I'm so adamant that he, I, the fact that he was good this year while wearing 29 is really one of the stories <laughs> of the season. He could wear number one. 
Yeah, totally fine. Go for it. Just not 15. <laughs> He'll make him bad all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. I like Kedron Young with 34. I think that looks I think that'd look good on him too. There are a lot of single digits. I mean, one, two, four, five, eight, nine, and ten are all in various states of availability right now. So some of them on both sides of the ball. So there's a lot of lot of ground to work with there. I mean, it's there it could be a new number seven on offense. Audrick Estimate is gone. So there's plenty of opportunity for guys to spice up their numbers. Also, KK Smith should change out of number eleven. I've decided to to jumpstart his career heading into the spring. Hmm. I okay. uh generally don't have a lot of opinions in, in this matter, <laughs> but I agree. I agree with that. Yeah, thank you. I agree with that. A question from Coach Aguilar. How long will it take to assess the new strength and conditioning hire of Lauren Landau? That's well, probably an unpopular answer, but years. Yeah. I mean, like a draft class almost. Um I I I know people will rush to judgment on this the second somebody pulls a hamstring, but I just I I don't I don't think there's a way to assess this in the short terms as a so a long-term type of result in terms of how good he can be. It'll first be assessed um, when the clock strikes zero in College Station. See if anybody wilted, unquote. They have to I, get tougher. Yeah, I thought uh, it would have. I, I thought it already would have been assessed. <laughs> oh yeah, well, that's true. I guess depending on where you look. On, yes. on the Four Horsemen Lounge, it's already been assessed. Yeah. Well, it's uh, I, but you know I'm, what? November, your first November is little bit of a, he's a yeah. year with her, little telltale how you do in November, right? Yeah, I'm not the... saying that like you ignore that. Like what happens in November happens in November. I just think to put it all, we, I think sometimes we draw too direct of a line back to strength and conditioning when it was sure. really like that was a terrible play call or the guy just booted the ball out of bounds or he missed a field. I don't know. It's, I think you can, Pete, I think, you know, like individuals, I, you look at the guys that were, that will be sophomores or in the second year in the program, like a, like a Brennan Vernon. Yes, know, first guy that comes to mind for me. We uh, who we um, now anticipate, as Tim O'Malley had suggested, is going to move to three technique. We'll see. We'll see if that comes to fruition in the spring. But I mean, I think guys like I think the younger guys. It's like, oh wow, you know, I can see that that he's quite a bit stronger. You'll you'll that will be Ashton. How about Ashton Craig? Ashton huh? Craig would be a yeah. great example. Absolutely. Well, Charles Jagasa jumps into that too. Now he will well, naturally his, get in better shape, but his yeah, his physical conditioning I think will be will be measured there, uh, you know as well. But um, I, I think on the outside looking in, there will be some snap judgments, especially Pete, as you uh, indicated about the hamstring issues. But these kind of things, you know, are they are long term deals, and uh, I think he'll do just fine. And there will be hamstring injuries. You know why? Because every team has hamstring injuries, regardless of the strength and conditioning coach. We're going to wrap up with CR Lewis 80. Uh, I'm going to make this quick hit, so I'll say the names. But the question is, where do you project each of Notre Dame draft eligible players to go? Which will be free agents? We'll start with Joe Alt. First, top 10 pick. Yeah, top 10. I agree. Top 10 pick. Uh, Audric Estime. Man, some, you know, I mean, these are going to start at this stage. (laughs) Third, Third round. Second day. Yeah, day two. Yeah, day two for me as well. Okay. 
Uh, I mean, I, I think Javante Jean-Baptiste is like, what? what is he missing? He has length. He has quickness. He can rush the passer. And he got be, better. Yeah. Day two, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, probably third round. Third round pick for him. I mean, it's it's hard to think back. Like, I think Justin Tuck went in the third round. Sheldon Day went in the fourth round. Um, I could see but, him being a better prospect than uh, Sheldon Day. Yeah, I mean, he's the, phys- the physical right. measurables there are going to be off the charts. So Because of the length. Guys, yeah. Tuck was the best player in a Super Bowl against Tom Brady. So let's go ahead and uh, say they messed up where they took him. It was bad. Blake Fisher. Uh, I, I think he'll be third round as well. It's like the measurables, I think, will be really good there. The tape, less so, but there, there. I, I just don't think there's a ton of people built like Blake Fisher. So, I don't, I don't think he played like a third round pick. I could just see him being picked in the third round. I don't disagree with you, but I'm just going to default to fourth because of the tape. Yeah. Now they could. Now, if he does move inside, I think he'll move inside. That, but I, still... I think he does too. How does that impact his draft status? Well, that could get him to third round just because he's being projected to play a I, you know, better spot I, for him. I, I would, as Pete said, I, I would not be surprised with third round, but I think the tape says fourth round. Uh, we've joked about this, but Sam Hartman, he just got uh, in the, the, the uh, bowls. I think he'll be a, well, let me think. That's a tough one. I was about to say, I think he'd be a free agent, but he could work for you as a backup quarterback. I will say free agent. I'll I'll say the same. You know what I'm thinking about? I'm thinking about Tariq Bracey. I know we're not talking about yeah, nickel. I'm thinking about a hundred dollars. But <laughs> you were paid, go- he's goading you right now. Yeah. You were paid. That will, that will never happen again. But you were paid. Remember the name. I, I just I just we, I I just find it really hard to believe that in a seven round draft with the numbers that he put up in college and the experience that he has that he will go undrafted. So I will say late in the draft. Speaking of Nichols, Thomas Harper, which Free I have, agent. which I have no opinion about because. Free agent, but he can free agent, but he can make a team. Yeah, I, I agree with that too. Free, free agent, but on a roster uh, next September 5th. He just plays better. He, he's good at football. <laughs> Thomas Harper is good at football out there, man. Yes. He doesn't I mean, so if he's good at football, why wouldn't he be drafted? Same reason Tariq Bracey wasn't drafted and was okay, good at football. Well, that's good enough for me. Yep. That's good enough yep. for me. Uh, I, you know, I, I mean, in terms of ability, uh, can't I probably already should have mentioned Cam Hart, but we didn't know the three shoulder surgeries. Uh, I that that is one of of all the guys here. That's the one that I just have the least clue on. I have I no know, idea because his medicals will just change anything I say about how good Cam Hart can be. Yeah, because oh, he's going to walk into the combine and be like, holy crap. I mean, we joked about it in August at training yeah. camp. It's like, when did they get this guy from the 49ers? Yes. Um, I mean, he looks like a million bucks when he's healthy. So it's but that's he, a tough one. He was always difficult. I, I always found him difficult to evaluate. I mean, you can only say so many times, well, they won't throw in his direction. He doesn't. He doesn't make a lot of plays. He doesn't have a high number of passes broken up. He never had a high number of interceptions. And I realize a lot of those are a function of the defense and where he's located in the defense and how they use him and et cetera, et cetera. But 
you know what I'm saying, right? I mean, he wasn't. Yeah, a, but he just guard. He he covered I, I, great. I, no, year. I realize that. I, I realize that 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 was true. That was legitimate. That teams didn't want to throw towards his length, but he never put up big numbers. So, you know, that what? So you're so you chose to throw to to Benjamin Morrison's side. They did a lot of that during his freshman year because they, you know, they. Oh yeah, you have to test him a couple times if yeah. he's your freshman. Um. I may be missing somebody here. I, the last two I have are Bertrand and uh, Schrader. Maris Leofau. Maris Leofau, thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, certain Schrader and Leofau would be undrafted free agents. Um, Schrader will make a team, too, is my opinion of the cannon-legged Schrader. He'll be more accurate as he has full-on kicking, coaching, and all that stuff. He'll be good. Mm. Uh, Bertrand, I also have a hard time with. Yeah, I mean, maybe he could he just be a great college player who isn't really a pro prospect. That's possible. Um, I also I think O'Malley and I joked like if he was an undrafted free agent. And that team also drafted an inside linebacker in the fifth round, that linebacker in the fifth round is screwed. Yeah, he's out of a he's out of a job immediately. <laughs> Bertrand is going to work him off the roster. There's so a second year player too that's about to get cut for wherever J D Bertrand yeah. goes. That did I think not... Bert, like the Bertrand story. I I think he'll get drafted, but I think I could also see his story being similar to Harper, where just like he's too good not to be on the roster, um, even if he is not going to blow anyone away at the combine. Um, I think he'll run fast, but not otherwise test great. At the combine, straight Probably. line. He has a good straight line burst that yeah. will help him in the combine. Late, late third day, I would say with him, it just he's just been too productive, and he, you know, he's a guy that, as as you guys are saying, I mean, he's just so conscientious and so committed to the cause, and he's so so intelligent. Somebody's going to take a, a flyer on him, and he's going. If he's not on a roster when the season starts, he's going to be on a practice squad. He's and, too good of a football player. He's too good of a football teammate. Remember, if J.D. Bertrand was on a team right now as a senior with Manti Teo, Jalen Smith, and Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa, J.D. Bertrand would have been the special teams player of the year instead of a starting linebacker, and he will be on someone's NFL roster as a special teams player of the year type in his first couple of years. That's, he, he has so many ways of making a team, yeah, but not necessarily a way of being like an every, he'll never, like, I don't see him as an every down player, no. but he has many ways to make a team. We're going to wrap up uh, uh, this uh, episode of Irish Illustrated Insider, and it, this is also a, a bit of a demarcation after months and months and months and months of two podcasts per week. We're going to drop back to one, partly because there won't be, um, wait a minute, I'm going to knock on wood as I say this, there won't be breaking news at any moment all the time <laughs> as we move forward, uh, the kiss of death right there. Uh, but I think we all kind of I think our voices all need a little bit of a break. We have dissected Notre Dame football inside and out here for, for four or five months in a row, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. We're just going to drop back to one a week. I think we're going to plan that for Thursdays. What do you guys think about that? Here's to good radio, Tim. Let's yeah, talk I think, about I think you and you and Pete are going to have a good Thursday podcast next week, possibly with JJB, but I will be in uh, Maui, so I will not be joining your okay. Thursday festivities. All right. So Jean-Baptiste you, Jean-Baptiste is coming on the show. So you, you really don't care what day we have. The yeah, you could have it on Tuesday. It's <laughs> okay, fine. It's okay. just Tim O'Malley says. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Your vote is excluded, but we're anticipating coming back for a podcast next Thursday, January 11th. Until then, I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley. For Pete Sampson, 
And this has been Irish Illustrated Insider.